This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. Hi, this is Bill Allerton from Urban Tiger Radio again. My guest on this week's podcast is Bryony Doran. Now, if you look back down my podcast, you'll find Bryony reading Slighted Piper, one of her stories from the Sandegs collection of short stories. Actually, Bryony is going to read for us today The Sandegs, which is the title story from her collection. Without any further ado, here we have Bryony Doran introducing herself reading The Sandegs. Hello, my name's Bryony Doran and I'm going to be reading a story called The Sandegs from my short story collection. This is also called The Sandegs. The Sandegs. A wind blows, a hot wind through a city of silence. The bones of men and boys lie perfect where they fell. White bones on yellow sand. A city of white marble and black crows. The searing wind blows in off a rippled sand that was once a sea. The black hulled boats, stranded, creak like old leather. This once island city of white marble, like a beached whale, lies surrounded by sand. The only travellers through the city are five women veiled in red, a scar that travels in silence through the sand-filled streets. The crows are silent, except for the movement of their wings, a gentle bending of bone. They hover above the fountain, watching the women who have come to bathe and quench their thirst. Women who are now queens, queens of nothing. Women who were brought as child brides from across the straits, who arrived with hennaed messages on their hands and feet. Symbols that they did not understand, symbols of their family, symbols which made their husband, the fat man with the licorice hair, choose them. These symbols are the only proof of who they were. Every wash day they faithfully darken the fading henna, sharing hands, looking for similarities between the symbols. Like queens, the women travel the city. No longer do they bow their heads, hurry invisible and among the men and the boys. They explore the rooms that until now have been forbidden to them. The temple, where the men knelt in prayer, where the women until now could only leave offerings to the gods on the steps outside. The library, Shelves and shelves of books. 
and only pictures that the women could understand. Pictures of gold, pictures of animals and birds that they had never seen. Flowers, trees and green landscapes that dreamlike they remember from their childhood. The men died first. They gathered on the sand, listening, waiting, knowing, and then the wind with the heat came and the men dropped where they stood. Before nightfall, the flesh had dried from their bones, the bones that now lie on the sand, a fractured web of white on yellow. The women took their boys and hid in the great hall. On the morning of the third day of the wind, the boys went blind, calling for their mothers with a new command in their voice. On the tenth day, the wind began to drop. The women went out in search of food, and the boys, ignoring their mother's wishes, wandered blindly along the beach, keeping in the lee of the city, searching for the cool wind that had once come in off the sea, listening for the waves that had once gently sung them to sleep. They found the boys at dusk, their flesh already stripping to bone smaller, whiter bones than their fathers. The women worked their tongues in silence, flicking the tip off the roofs of their mouths. Grief or the wind made them mute. Early the next morning, all the women, except the five wives of the licorice man, had left the city, spreading out across the rippled sand, searching for the horizon, for their homeland, the green homeland they had seen in the books. The five women watched them go, sifted sand through hennaed toes, a pulsing herd of red antelope, moving slowly, getting smaller, nearing the horizon. The women had never been allowed to keep their daughters, at five days old, the baby girls were sent out to sea on a black-hulled boat, a cradle carefully placed among the shrimp nets and lobster pots, a five-day-old baby returning to their mother's homeland, a land of pink blossoms and orchard. Each woman would notch the year that their daughters left, keeping a conch shell wrapped in silk for each one, the symbols of their tiny left palm copied exactly onto the shell. Every spring the mother would place another notch along the serrated edge of the shell until she counted her fingers and three. Then after thirteen years a daughter should return to be married to a man already chosen. Every year the boat would dock in the early morning before the sun touched the water. The young girls, a whimpering red sprawl, tethered to the deck of the black-hulled boat. The girls were bathed and anointed with sandalwood, a fingertip of vermilion daubed on foreheads, their bodies scoured for birthmarks, their palms for family symbols, 
each woman with a conch shell with thirty notches would bring it to the girls, trace the markings of their palms and then the markings on the shell. They never quite matched. The women search for a secret room under the great hall. The walls are of marble, the floor is of sand, water seeps up through the sand, it is cool. The women gather in the darkness, sit silence at the heat of the day, touching in the darkness, wet flesh, warm flesh. The last wife who arrived the year before is the only woman who still carries a child in her belly. In the great hall above, the women lay out their red veils on the white marble floor. They place the girl, now in labour, on their veils. A new beginning, a daughter they can keep. They can become queens of a new land, a land of white marble, a land of hope. The child is born, silent, still. It is a boy. The women leave the mother and carry the infant down to the sand to join the bones of his brothers. The moon is full. It has been full ever since the wind came with the heat. The wind that sucked the tide back until all around was land. The women are bareheaded. The moonlight catches their shaven heads, a punishment for still birth. They wander aimlessly along the beach, searching for a sea. The sadness of the dead child hangs in the air. The women flicker their once shrill tongues in silence, aching to pour all the sadness out into the night. Just one child and they could have lived again, a child for the future, a child to build a new beginning. Clustered under a mound of sand, they find a turtle's nest, white eggs big enough to fill clasped hands, pulse, a slight pulse, warm to the touch. Carefully they return the eggs, smooth the sand mound and wait, wait for the cracking of the shell, the scratching of new life, the run to the sea. The women wait many days for the hatching of the eggs. They know instinctively that the hatching will come at night. During the day only two women stand guard, but at night they all gather on the sand, sleeping at the foot of the mound. It comes as they knew it would in the night, the first cracking, the first struggle. The women take the lids off their covered baskets and wait, scooping each turtle up as it makes a dash for the sea. The creatures, like the women, are mute. They scurry across the sand floor of the secret room. The women try to feed the turtles on dried fish soaked in water and from the milk of the young mother. They do not eat. They scurry around the walls, all twenty-five, keeping together. At night, the women each scoop five turtles into their covered baskets. They are marked in henna, 
given the symbols of their adoptive mother. The turtles will become their new children. Together in the silence they will understand each other. The turtles will stay, they will breed and every year there will be more clustered mounds of eggs buried on the beach and the women in red will be queens. The books in the library will reveal their secrets. From the pictures they will glean the meaning of the black scratches spread out like black bones on the page. They will sit cross-legged in a circle on the silk carpets of the temple under the stained glass dome. They will become kaleidoscope queens, happy in their new freedom. They will climb the high towers and take from the crows' nests, now made of white bone, the white eggs that gives the crows hope that make them gather at the fountain, turning the white marble black, making the women wait for their bathing. One by one, the turtles die. Each woman has only two that she can place in her covered basket, take with her at night to hold as comfort in the darkness. Although it is hard flesh, it is comfort to hold, to pretend. The women carry the dead turtles down to where their son's bones lay and place them carefully at the edges. With each turtle that dies, hope fades. The women place the live turtles in their covered baskets and take them down to the beach. They wait deep into the night for the appointed time. They take the covers off the baskets and tilt them so that the turtles can escape. Like a black arrow, the turtles all take the same direction. They head for the ribbed sun that was once sea. The women hesitate and then together run across the ridge sand, past the black-holed boats following their turtles the mottled shells showing the ringed family symbols of each woman. As the sun rises low on the horizon, it blinds the women, and they bow their heads, look back at the marble city glinting, an aspect of a city they have not seen since they were thirteen years old. The turtles follow a line across the dry straits, taking the women to the land of their birth, to the land of their lost daughters. As the day begins to fade to dusk, the young girl slows, longing to return with her four mothers to the marble city. She has no daughter to seek across the wide straits, the straits that seemed so quick to cross when she came the year before on a black-hulled boat. The women slow, wait for her, staring anxiously into the distance as the turtles keep up their speed, racing, still racing for the sea. At night, the women can no longer see the turtles. The ribbed sand begins to slope gradually to a hollow, sheltering them from the wind. The moon shows the women's shrimp nets and lobster pots, the fishing ground where their men had come. At dawn, the women are woken by a familiar wailing, a wailing of grief they had known all their lives until the wind came. 
the oldest woman is standing among the lobster pots, head back, flickering her tongue in and out. She points to her feet. The other women, puzzled, shake their heads. The wailing woman throws up her hands, showing hennaed palms. The women move closer. Among the lobster pots are baskets with handles. In the baskets, they see tiny frames of white ribs, like delicate bird cages made for tiny songbirds. Skulls the size of eggs lie white in the sand. The skulls of their daughters. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Bye-bye. The coal that keeps the fire burning.